we happened to launch it. It wasn't that well planned by us. I think it was the Lord, you know, to just have us get it like right on the Valentine's morning, <laughs> on Valentine's Sunday, and kicking off a marriage and relationship series. Uh, it couldn't have been better orchestrated by humans. So um, heading into Masterclass. How many of you know what Masterclass is? Masterclass. Anybody have ever subscribed to Masterclass? Masterclass is like just little pop culture uh, tutorial videos that teaches people stuff. Uh, and you can subscribe to it for a couple of bucks a month. And, uh, and then you can choose your topic, whether it's sports or cooking, excuse me, or whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, softer skills like, you know, conflict management, negotiation, and things like that. But uh, people generally enjoy them because they're little videos that presenters are, are, you know, well prepared and they've got some great practical um, advice. And one thing they're a little slim on is love, sex, and marriage. So we thought we'd fill in the blank. Hence, masterclass, life, love, love, sex, and marriage. We, we're heading into that today. So we're, we're trying to create everything, something for everybody in this series. So it's not just for married couples. It's also for people approaching marriage, people who have, uh, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and <laughs> stepped out of it for various reasons. Uh, people who are just single, just not, not there yet and uh, want, to, want to, but aren't there yet or maybe in between any of that. We're trying to, we're trying to provide principles from Scripture that will help everybody in whatever season that they're in. And so don't, uh, don't see this as a marriage series. It's more a relationship series. Uh, talk about practical scriptural advice. So let me see. How many of us are married? Hands up. All right. Majority of us. How many of us are single but committed somewhere? Okay. Single, single people. Okay. No single people. All right. We got we to gotta change that, people. Bruh. I just greeted like Andrew and, 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 and um, Noah. Are y'all, are y'all not single? <laughs> They're not married yet, right? That makes them single. Single but committed. I didn't see any hands. I'm just saying. Anyways, no, I'm just picking. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we're going we're gonna to just get into some whole lot of practical advice. Let me tell you, this is going to challenge your socks off. <laughs> when the Bible comes to uh, relationships, it doesn't, it doesn't hold punches. Okay, and uh, I'm not the kind of guy that... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that tries to downtone scripture, you know, for popular effect. I just give it as it is, as it says there. And sometimes I even add my own little uh, perspective to it that uh, um, just based out of my own um, relationship, excuse me. <coughs> now you all really start doubting whether I'm at things. Bro. <coughs> Man, I'm trying to get that air pipe clear. Excuse me, this is stupid. All right, so but wherever you are, you need God's wisdom. And uh, hopefully, hopefully a lot of that comes through uh, these sermon series. So I have a question for us. Um, where have you kind of gone to when it comes to, you know, love, relationships, uh, information about marriage and, and, and the fun things that happen as a part of that? Where do you go to? Do you, is your, your favorite place to go to the internet to find out, you know, how things ought to be over there? Do you like to l- watch romantic comedies to find out, you know, how love stories are supposed to kind of, you know, <laughs> transpire? Uh, you know, when it comes to romantic comedies, there's always this, you know, this pattern. I don't know if you've noticed it. Like, you know, uh, two lives colliding, magic happens, they lie to each other about stuff. 
there's a breakdown, and at the end of the day, they come back together again, and it's all happily ever after. Y'all, y'all see that pattern? <laughs> now, how many of you have taken that pattern and kind of wish that your life could work out like that? Like, you know, you just have that, oh, that love at first sight, and yeah, X the, you know, the, the blow up, but, but kind of just like, you know, have that, that so, so sometimes, you know, I fantasized, you know, when I was younger that, you know, I'm going to meet this girl and it's going to just be so cool and, you know, she's going to get me and, you know, what I'm going to get her and it's just going to be, you know, and then hopefully, you know, we can, we can do things a little better than those guys out there do it, you know, maybe try and uh, you know, not do it before, you know, and stay, stay, stay till the end and, we all have these ideas and these thoughts that goes through our minds. And now that we are married, we're like, you oh, know, how can we make our marriage better? You know, maybe if we do this or that or, you know. We have information overload from media, from places outside there. But so often we don't haven't actually even just recognize what Scripture has to say about these relationships. And it's sad because Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior or the customs of the world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Let me tell you, there are a few places where there are so many customs than in the area of love and relationships. There are plenty of customs and you know, it has to just be like this or you, you, know, you can't do it like that. Or, and, and, and people form their mindsets and their approaches to marriage based off of what pop culture would teach them. But I think in order for us to fully understand um, sex and marriage, we and love, we must let the one who designed it define it. Um, but that's not that easy. Well, we're going to attempt that throughout the series here, is to bring definition to these aspects that, we, that we, we're talking about. Um, Romans 12, 2 continues to say, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You will never change behavior until you see yourself differently, until your opinion about yourself about yourself has shifted from how you used to view yourself to the new that you're trying to create. Um, like I see this so many times in the, you know, in, in, in the health industry and, 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 and my wife and I recently undertook for that. I don't know how many of time, you know, the, the goal of getting healthy, getting fit, eating better and uh, regularly exercising, Right. And you know what? We were jogging the other morning and uh, we were chatting and, we said, and I said to her, you know what? This, we won't be able to sustain this if we don't fundamentally change our view of who we are. See, we, our confession about ourselves are, we're, we're evening people. You know, we thrive at late at night. Yet there is no way that we can go jog late at night. The only place and time that we have available to ourselves in our schedule is early mornings, uh, before our kids wake up, right? And, you know, that, or, or we'll have to go jog late at night at 10 or something, but that's just never going to happen. We just know that because there we're, you know, we're winding down and we're trying to get ready to, for bed and all that. And so um, we just knew that we had to start changing the way, the way we view ourselves. See, we view ourselves as evening people. And so when the morning alarm clock goes off at 10 to 5, 10 to 5 for us to get ready and dress so we can go take a, you know, a 30 to 40 minute jog. Um, what challenges you the most, your tiredness or the actual opinion you have about yourself? I'm not built for this. 
It's actually the idea that you have formed in your mind the whole time that is the hardest to overcome. I'm not a morning person. I can't do this. That is what prevents you from getting up. And so we realize that if we're going to sustainably change this thing, we're going to have to start viewing ourselves different. And so we started saying that we used to be night owls, but we're enjoying early mornings now. <laughs> now I tell you, when I say that, I'm thinking, who is speaking? Because <laughs> it ain't me, right? But after a while, we found that the more we say it, the more we start believing it about ourselves. And when we put greater whys behind it, and we start valuing what we're going to get out of it, we become, we become new people. We start thinking differently about ourselves. And so when, when Romans 12 says, don't copy the behavior of the, or the customs of this world, our immediate reaction is that, all right, good, what do I need to change in order to not do things like the world does it? All right? And so I'll go think about, okay, I'm still doing this, I'm still doing that, I'm still doing that, I'm still doing that. Okay, well, I need to stop doing that. And then I'm, like the next week, I'm going to like, oh, you know, I can't do that. I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. I'm a Christian. That's what the world does. Let's, let's take worry, for, for an example. The, math, the Bible says in Matthew 6, um, you know, that don't, don't worry like that over everything. Because that's what people that don't have a father does. But you have a heavenly father. So you don't have to worry like they do. But then we come to a, a place, you know, Monday hits us and, you know, bills come in and blah, 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 and all that. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't worry about this. But I am worrying like this. And what's, what's happening is that I am trying to change me instead of realizing that I will never change me. I have to allow God to change me. And the way God changes us is by shifting our opinions about things. He tells you something different about yourself that you never thought was true. And when you hook your faith onto that, all of a sudden your opinion about yourself starts changing. I am a son of God. I have a father. He takes care of me. So I come to a place where now, you know, things are happening. I'm just talking about my real life. Things are happening in South Africa that I have no control over, um, but it's affecting me. It's affecting us, you know, with our livelihood. And, and, and I can do nothing. I can't travel back. I'm not allowed to. Uh, I don't even right now, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually able to travel back because we're in the middle of an application process with, with some, some residency things. It's literally out of my control, but it is spiraling out of control. I am constantly tempted to just freak out about what's happening back home. I have to discipline myself with this thought. I'm a son of God. I'm here on his ticket. He's going to take care of this. And then I have to put it aside and realize that my father is taking care of it. Even then when I look at it, I feel like it's kind of, kind of rough. It's got, things aren't happening how, how I want it to happen. I have to let it go. I have to just trust God that it's going to work out. But if I see myself as a son that has a father who's being taken care of by him, it's easier. But if I don't, and if I say this is something that I, I have to take care of this, I have to get this done. If I don't do it, nothing's going to happen about it, right? And which there's a partnership. I can't just do nothing. I have to make sure that I do what I can do. Um, but ultimately, I have to settle that God is going to take this and he's going to help us through this, even if it gets worse than I thought it would. But it's the changing the way I think that makes me overcome in the now, that gives me rest, gives me peace again. You see, it's not changing the what I do because I can't change what I do. 
but if I start seeing myself differently and change the way I think differently, then the Bible says you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And you'll be able to change along to his pattern because he has transformed you on the inside. That's why in, the, in, in Christianity, Christianity is not about behavior modification. I'm not asking any of you to change anything that you're doing. What I am asking you is I'm asking you to allow the Holy Spirit to start speaking to you about who you really are in Christ. Because as you allow him to tell you more who you are, changes will happen naturally. You'll naturally disassociate with your previous lifestyle. You go like, "Mm, that's not who I am anymore. I want to do things this way because I'm a child of God. That's how true change and sustainable change happen. So God is the creator of relationships, love. He's the creator of sex. He's the creator of marriage. Let us allow him to teach us in this series how he defines these things. And if we will respond accordingly and start viewing ourselves like he wants us to view ourselves, then we'll be able to do the things that he commands us to do also. I'm going to sing you a song a line and I want you to respond back all right now in the first service they 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 yeah uh, they they struggle I'm telling you that but I know you guys are going to be better for it you're going to respond okay all right can I get some but I know you guys are a bunch of introverts most of you all right I know that I know that by now nobody ever says amen to anything I'm saying but I've grown used to it but this one time I'm asking you to for this day <laughs> I'll ask you again next Sunday I'm just kidding just respond back. All right. You get ready? You ready? Okay. Say the, sing the rest of the song. What is love? Y'all win. Y'all win for sure. Come on. Give yourselves a hand there. Yeah. No, don't clap if you didn't sing. That hand's not for you. It's for this tooth rose here in front. <laughs> I'm just speaking. I'm just speaking. You see, as we sing these songs, as we think about these things, you know, I thought to myself, what is love? And then the response is, just, baby, just don't hurt me. Just don't hurt me. And you know what, when you accept the world's ideas about what something is, you have to settle with their standard. Love is so much more than not just not getting hurt. But if that's all it is for you, it means that you've actually settled on something that's not biblical, settled on something that God has so much more in mind for you. And if you would just allow him to change your ideas about this, you will get out of it so much more as a couple, but also as an individual, right? So I'm going to talk about some of these, you know, ideas that the world share with us about love and, 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 and they're myths and we need to debunk them for what they are so that the truth may find a space in our minds. First myth, no man can be trusted. Y'all heard of that? First myth point two, all women are crazy. Both these are myths. They're actually not objectively true <laughs> I was waiting for that <laughs> come on I got a name I got a name in I didn't even ask for it today's a good day um no man can be trusted all women are crazy you know where did that come from it just came from subjective experiences but you know what they say is they say that lies make its way around the world before truth had chance to put his pants on and so these exp- people speak about the bad experiences. You know, someone once told me they worked at Walmart and their manager told them, look, if you give five customers, you know, good service, maybe one will tell somebody that they had a good experience at Walmart. 
you give you, you, you give one customer a good, they, they may tell five people that they had a good experience. You give one customer a bad experience, the whole world knows that there was a bad experience at Walmart. That's just the way bad news works. Bad news runs faster than good news. You got duped into thinking that this is truth, this is objectively true about people by your subjective experience. Others have different experiences, but you just don't hear about that. But let me put a spin on this for you. Actually, no man can be trusted. And we're all crazy to put our trust in each other. Where does that leave us? (laughs) Well, that leaves us exactly where we ought to be. Not looking to us to find solution for this. Proverbs 3 verse 3 says this, Therefore, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Where does understanding come from? It's our ideas. Help to make us make sense of the world. Don't lean on the world's ideas about love, relationships, and these things because that does not produce God's product. You know, our own understanding sometimes sounds like this. Oh, you know what, buddy? He's so sensitive. It's so romantic. That's own understanding. You know what? You know, she never complains when I go out hunting. She just gets me. That's how own understanding sounds like. Let me tell you, that will disappear real quick. Real quick. Because those are even experiences that are based on circumstances. And when the circumstances change, boom, that's going to change. And our understanding isn't superior enough to encompass every uh, possible scenario that we might encounter in life. And therefore, we have to call ideas, call on ideas that are greater than this world, that will stand the test of time and circumstance. And that's why it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Let God's ideas be formed in your mind and heart about people, about men about women. As you do that, you'll learn how to take steps forward. Rather ask yourself this, because 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39 says this, a person is free to be married to whomever she wishes, and that counts for men as well, except only that person must be in the Lord. God puts parameters on relationships because he wants it to produce good. And if we don't accept those parameters, if we go outside those parameters, we will experience the consequences that this life, not God, this life will automatically throw at us because God told us how to navigate through life and we stepped outside of that and we went into the danger zone. I want to say this about getting, um, maybe, maybe, maybe this is not for you because most of you are in a relationship already, but I want to say this to those who are, who have little ones that are looking to them now for relationship ex- example and model. And so let's kind of let's take today as, as more than just us speaking to you, but also what are, what are you and what is your example showing those around you uh, about how to follow Jesus when it comes to relationships? When you want to step into a relationship with a person, it's important that you know where they stand with God. And, and this is not, it's not enough to just know, hey, they're going to church. Because, or they're a Christian. Because there are values that make things different, difficult in life, right? 
if there are not shared values in a home. It creates conflict. It creates friction. So you are better off asking more questions before you make the commitment than trying to fix things after or trying to make changes after you have made the commitment. A wise woman once told me, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. Don't deny glaring facts in front of you. Don't try and explain them away. Acknowledge every single thing you see. Don't minimize it. After marriage, you got to squint. You got to kind of, <laughs> you got you to gotta kind of ignore <laughs> whatever you minimized before marriage, you're going to have to ignore in marriage because that's just how things kind of work out. You know, you, you tend to be more wide open after marriage. No, you have to flip that around because we're always going to have stuff that we're dealing with. Um, but if you do it correctly and you did your due diligence at the front end, after the fact, you don't have to squint your eyes to too many things. <laughs> so I want to ask you this. Is the person that you're intending to hook up with, are they showing the same Christ-centered pursuit that you want them to have as a partner? See, if, if they're satisfied by just dealing with Jesus once a week at church and then the rest of the week not even worrying about it, are you going to be just like that for the rest of your life? Because you won't get much more out of them unless the Holy Spirit does a miracle in their hearts. But you're not guaranteed that. Yet if you make the decision, that's a decision that you're going to have to learn to live with and love through. So God wants us to really make sure that we understand the fact that no man can be trusted, no woman can be trusted. We're all crazy to go into this thing anyways. Let's do it according to His way and pattern. That's the best chance you have of getting into a successful marriage that is life-giving. I want to invite you to go and read 1 Corinthians 7. We don't have time to read the whole thing today. 1 Corinthians 7 gives every scenario that you might find yourself in some advice. Like for instance, I married somebody that wasn't a believer. What do I do? Go read what 1 Corinthians says. I married somebody who um, you know, uh, uh, isn't, isn't exactly you know, as passionate about Jesus as me. That would cover that. Uh, I want to marry somebody that, that, that doesn't serve God. It covers that. Go read 1 Corinthians 7, and it, it gives such great advice for us um, who are in relationships and preparing for getting into relationships. Um, heading into myth two, it says this, if I can find the right one, everything will be all right. I just need to find my soulmate, you know, the one that gets me. The problem with this is that you, this actually assumes that you don't have to change any this assumes that you're perfect where you are so you just need the right one that will come and fit in with you where you are well guess what god's going to do the exact opposite with you because you're not where you need to be yet and he's going to send you a mate that'll rub you up that'll that that, that might be a wrong connection that'll uh, that'll chafe you <laughs> that'll rub you 
I just see these men go, remember what Pastor Jay just said? Do not quote me on that. I'm on record. <laughs> um, that'll, that'll, that'll challenge you in, in areas that you don't want to be challenged because God's purpose for marriage is not just kids and fun. His purpose for marriage, as it is with every part of the things that he leads us into, is to make us more like him. And marriage is the best context in which God can help you and your spouse become more like him because it's supposed to be a committed relationship that doesn't end. So there can be chafing, there can be iron sharpening iron, and the commitment will last because it's a marriage and it's a covenant and that's what God intended for it to be, right? So God is actually wanting to give you somebody that will help you grow to become more like Jesus. You're assuming by trying to find the right one that you don't have to change. Nothing of you has to change. A lot of us has to change. And God wants to use marriage to help us grow to become like Him. So not only does He want us to... Um, to become more like him, he also needs models that shows him to the world. What I said in the beginning of God wants through our marriages to be testimonies to the world of what it means like to be in a relationship with him. And so our, our marriages need to portray and echo the message or the reality of Christ in the church. That's one of God's plans is that marriages, excuse me, Excuse me. Marriages will be testimonies. They will be the gospel in action to the world. Can you see why the enemy hates marriage so much? Why there is such an attack currently on the identity of marriage, even the identities of genders? Because God, God's pattern cannot be shown forth by a marriage that is not by a husband and a wife. It misconstrues God's image. That's one of the biggest reasons why God wants marriage to be the way he designed it to be. Because it needs to echo. It needs to be an example, a mirror image. So you can ask yourself a question like, how, how is my marriage reflecting God? Is it reflecting God and his relationship with his church, with his bride? What must I do to Make my marriage be more of a testimony to the world. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things you need will be added to you. So we think, I mean, I just want a you know, happy life. I want a you know, happy wife. I want, you know, I want to have a lot of money. I just need everything to be you know, the way I need it to be for me to be happy. God says, Seek first my kingdom. What's that? That's my rules. The kingdom is a government. A kingdom is a rulership. It means that there are rules. There are governing principles. There are, there are um, commands. Seek my way of doing things. Seek my laws. Seek my commands. Seek my principles. Let me teach you that. If you do that, you will produce my patterns. You will produce my product. And then he says, seek my righteousness. What is that? That is not religion. That is relationship. That is standing with me where you are my son. I'm your father. You're my daughter. I'm your father. I can guide you. I can show you what needs to happen. You can grow into uh, becoming like me because you have, you have intimacy with me, closeness with me as your father. We all know how much we actually reflect our earth parents, right? 
uh, without me wanting to do it, I do stuff that my dad used to do. I do things that my mother does um, also. And, and, and my wife always says to me, when you do that, you look exactly like your mom. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't even know what I did, you know? And then she would explain what I did. I'm like, oh yeah, I can see mom doing that. <laughs> That's how God wants us. See, I spent a lot of years with my father, a lot of years with my mother. I was close to them. I was intimate with them. And therefore, I took on their ways. God wants that for you, with him. And so you need to seek his righteousness, seek that relationship with him. As you do that, you become like him. And as you seek him, you seek the way he wants things done. But if you do that that way, then you end up producing his product. You're becoming like him. Not the world's way. See, the world's way works like this. Put that up for us. You find the right one, trying to find the right one. Then you fall in love and you fix all your hopes on that person. And if failure occurs, you just try to you know, repeat steps one to three. Look for the right one, fall in love. Put all your hopes on him. The pressure is too much. My wife can never be my salvation. So often I, I, I hear, um, you know, when guys are just about to lose their marriages, they go like, oh, I can't lose my wife, man. She's my, she's my safety, you know. She's my, she's my person. She's that, you know, without her, my life is going to be completely out of whack. You know, I, I, I need my wife. Like, mm -mm. It's because you need her so much that she's buckling under the pressure. Because you are her salvation. No, sorry. She is your salvation. You have not learned to be healthy and well in a relationship with God so that you can offer her a place of security and safety without putting the pressure on her to produce it in you and to be that for you. That's part of the problem here. We want, God wants us to be well first with Him before we'll be able to be healthy partners for people for our healthy partners, you know. So God's way looks more like this. You focus on becoming the right one. Not finding the right one. Becoming the right one. Walk in love. And we'll talk about what, what love is after this a little bit more. Then fix your hopes on God that if you continue to follow His principle, that it will lead you to success. If anything does happen, you have to repeat that as well. Become more like God. Walk in love still. Continue to have the faith that God will bring and God's product, uh, processes will bring His product. Because we know we're going to make mistakes and we don't do it perfectly. So if failure does happen, we have to try to do that better rather than fixing our attention on the other person. Oh, I need to just find the right one. God wants us to look into his word to find out who does he want us to become. And I say this to people who are not married yet. Do not settle for a relationship before you understand your purpose. Do not settle for a relationship that is going to be a marriage one day if you don't understand your purpose. If you're heading into a relationship, if you're heading into a relationship, you have to have such focus to figure out why God has placed you here. Because my question to you is this, where are you going to take that person? How do you know that that person is taking you in the way that God wants you to go? If you do not have clarity about what your purpose is yet, you have to figure that out first. Now, if you're currently married, you haven't figured out your purpose yet, you've done it. You're in it. You can't get out. You have to now figure out within. It's a lot more pressure. It's a lot more difficult. But that's where you're just going to have to now walk in love. 
walk in love. Become the person that God has called you to do. Take steps of obedience toward Him. And if it becomes a challenge, remember it was your choice. Deal with it. Now you have to stay strong and believe God through it. You have to walk through it. You can't walk out of it. You have to walk through it. And it might be painful. It might be agonizing. You might feel like you're losing your life. It's what it's going to take. You're going to have to die and allow Jesus to bring you back to life. But the you that he wants you to be back to life. But guaranteed, if you would do that, God's product will be the end point. So like the Bible says with Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured all the hardship. If you're in a tough tough situation, you have to endure it for the joy that is set before you. Remember, this life isn't all that there is. We are actually preparing and investing this life for what comes next. This is your journey. You chose it. God will help you through it. But you have to walk in love and walk in faith and fix your hope on God. Myth number three. Love and marriage will fix our problems. No, Love does not fix problems. Love is an amplifier. Love makes problems bigger. Whatever existed before becomes more apparent after marriage. It doesn't become less apparent because there's no such thing as marriage problems. There's such a thing as people problems. But it's not a marriage problem because that problem probably existed before you went into the marriage. And now that you've lost the love and feeling, now it's all of a sudden your spouse's fault. No, it's not your spouse's fault. It's a people problem. It's something you're having to go through in your relationship with God, not blame them to have to fix you. You have to fix you by allowing God to change your ideas about who you are and becoming who he wants you to become. Then that will speak to the problem that you are experiencing with your spouse. Um, if you were selfish or self-centered before you headed into marriage, you're going to be exactly the same in marriage. And um, there's nothing that can be done about that now other than pursuing Jesus, that he might change us from the inside out. Myth number four, my, my love, my love can change them. I'm not talking about those of you who might be thinking of getting into a relationship with a person that isn't serving Jesus or isn't passionate about, about Jesus. My love will change him. No, uh, your love won't change him because not even God can force somebody to do something against their will. And there's a reason why there is a personal section in the self, self-help or the personal growth you know, areas in the book uh, area. Is, and the re- reason why it's called personal growth is because it's personal. Growth happens because you want it, not because your spouse wants it. And your spouse can pray for you as much as, as, as she and he can and wants, but until you decide to change, you're not gonna. And that's why we need to know before marriage, is this person a person that is even willing and open to you know, grow and, and, and change and decide right from the start, am I, am I signing up for this? <laughs> Because your love can't change them. Um, you know, I think people will, will be hard to admit that they don't love themselves more than they love people around them. I think as a general rule, we love, peop- we love ourselves uh, more. 
Um, you know, we will rather take care of ourselves than, than other people. Um, you know, if it, beco- if it becomes necessary to sacrifice, you know, it's, it's difficult because we're, kind of, we're important to ourselves. We love ourselves. We, wanna, we want ourselves to succeed. We want ourselves to advance. We want to be happy. And we do things to try and get that because, you know, it, it's just the truth. My question to you is, you know, of the things you don't like about yourself, how many of that have you actually successfully changed? And if you are the, you know, you love yourself the most, how are you thinking that your love is going to change anybody else if it's finding it hard to change you? It's just a myth. It doesn't happen. The only way we change is if we start loving God's ideas and His principles more than we love the way we think about ourselves. And, and that becomes a greater reality to us that we want to live according to. So let's head into a section now that talks about what is love. Um, and I'm going to make some sub-points that will reveal, reveal what love is, but our main points will uh, focus on what is infatuation. <laughs> because love is not infatuation. So what is infatuation? Well, it's a, a desire for a relationship or for love based on feelings, not commitment. Okay? Infatuation is based on feelings. It's not based in commitment. So often when we talk about talk to people um, you know, about, about getting married, they're like, you know, we want to get married because we love each other so much. We just love to be with each other the whole time. And uh, you know, six to 18 months <laughs> after that, um, they realize that, oh my goodness, there's more to this thing than a feeling. Now, some of you have been married for a long time, and you know this. You know that there is commitment needed to make marriage last, right? But it needs to be said nonetheless. See, sometimes people are uh, um, focused about what the, mar- what the relationship will mean to them, what it will give them. And that, that is infatuation. Sometimes it's about the person's appearance, you know, and, and how they look and how they make you feel when, when you look at them. That's infatuation, and it's infatuation based in lust. It's not even love. Um, and so... Love is a commitment and, and therefore, <laughs> you know, you can't emotion yourself into a, a commitment. You have to make a decision to put down a commitment. Like when you sign, when you sign a, you know, a, um, a house lease, you know, a mortgage financing thing, um, it's a decision you make to say yes to those terms, Right? And then you can't come six months after. You know, no, no, no. You know, there's, there's too many. Th- I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want this, this lease anymore. They're gonna go. Well, sorry, you decided to have this. Yeah, but I felt like it at the time. I, I don't feel like it no more. Well, sorry. <laughs> this commitment wasn't based on your feelings. It was based on a decision you made to put your name, sign on the dotted line. It's a decision, which means that there has to be a whole different thing of getting out of it. And, and we won't talk about the least thing because there are ways, obviously, but for marriage is different. This is a, a lifetime commitment. Um, and you know why it is not a feeling? Because you can't command a, a feeling. I can't command you to feel sad for something, right? So even if you hear of somebody that went through something tragic, it might not invoke sadness on the inside of you because you have not necessarily felt the you know, felt anything associated with it that, 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 that concerns you. You might have sympathy, but you don't necessarily always develop empathy for what people are going through. And so I can't command you, you know, you have to be sad for that person. Sadness is an emotion. Um, but Jesus does command us to love our enemies. He says in Matthew 5.44, love your enemies. And then he says, pray for those who persecute you. So 
Love is more of an action, really. Because you can command an action. Do this. Pray. Love. Same thing. It's a decision that you make to act out something. And, and, and if you just see love as an emotion, man, it's just action infatuation with something that you feel is going to benefit you. But if you're really willing to lay down a commitment, if you're really willing to make that decision to stick to it um, and be loyal to what you said long after the mood is gone, then you're actually having love uh, that is a commitment. Now, think about, think about, um, about love is that often... Um, it is, it's described, right, through 1 Corinthians 13 as these things that it does, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, it talks about things that love does. And then here's the thing, though, that you're not called on those responses unless something negative happens. Think about this. 1 Corinthians 13, we all, we all know the one. Love is patient, kind, not jealous, boastful, pride, rude. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You know what, more or less what that says. But unless somebody offends you, there's no need to be kind of to overlook something, right? Unless somebody annoys you, there's no need for patience. Unless somebody wrongs you, there's no need for forgiveness. Unless somebody disappoints you, there's no reason for believing all things. Unless somebody hurts you, there's no need to endure and to have long suffering. So love really is meant for those hard times. <laughs> love really becomes love when it responds correctly when something wrong happens. That's when you really know that it's love and not, and not infatuation, not a feeling. Second thing is infatuation seeks to be served. It's all about me. It's really what I'll, I can get out of this, right? And in this, man, this becomes so difficult and it's such a sensitive topic, but it has to be said. Sometimes marriages have, you know, one dominating, domineering figure. And um, you know what? That's not biblical. God doesn't need either party dictating how everything in the, in the marriage needs to happen. And it's not because, you know, God is in this whole egalitarian kind of business. No, God has very distinct roles for men and women in marriage. And he has assigned headship to the man in marriage. But remember what kind of head he is describing. It's a head that acts and thinks like Jesus. Go think and see how Jesus acted toward woman, toward his church. It's very freeing. It's very liberating. And it's very empowering. If you think about it, Jesus was the first person that empowered women to not have to live under the yoke of the whole oppressiveness of, you know, what, back in those days, how, how men treated women. Jesus treated them differently. How the heck can we still in today's society treat men like the Jews treated men back in that day? It's ludicrous, right? But we, but we read an, our own ideas and we don't allow the Bible to replace our ideas. God wants there to be equal discussion in marriage. But at the end of the day, when a decision needs to be made, the man can make the decision. But not just dictate his way the whole time. That's not a biblical marriage. At the same time, woman, you can't override your husband by demeaning him and then showing him how stupid he is and then make the decision for what needs to happen the whole time that's not biblical either that's not how God wants it right and so there has to be this place where I seek to come to the to the party humble and willing to listen willing to lay down my own opinion 
and let the best idea win and then call and say, all right, let's move forward with this. Because if you, know, if you just want your way the whole time, you're actually not in love with a person. You're infatuated with the idea of a person just giving you everything you need. You're in, you're in love with the idea of, being, of having a person with you that just makes everything for you easier. You're not really in love because love lays down a commitment to sacrifice, lays down a commitment to empower, to lift up, to let the other person feel that they are being liberated and they are being allowed to become what God has called them to become. In 1 John 3.16, finally, we, we hear what the Bible says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If you want to know what love is, it's you laying down your life for your spouse, for your partner. That's what it is. Now some will go, but I am laying down my life. You know, I'm working hard to provide and put food on the table. Let me ask you this. Have you come to an agreement with your spouse about how you're supposed to do that? Or are you really doing that so that you can feel good about you providing for your family. Who is this really about? Because if your wife is suffering with the kids and everything back home while you're pursuing your career, that's not you doing what God wants you to do, just providing food and putting food on the table. If you honestly go and ask her, hey, is this working for you? And she says no, and you're not willing to change, you're infatuated with self-service. You're not walking in love. God wants you to at least be willing to go and say, babe, does this work for us? And if she says no, we say, all right, what can we do to change this? Our reality is we need money. That's a reality. How can we do it so that it's a win for everybody? Having that conversation is necessary for you to have a biblical marriage that will produce a free and liberating environment for everybody, an environment where everybody can thrive in. That's what happens that's how you say yes to this line that says and we are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters how much more for the person that we've committed our love to for the rest of it for the rest of our existence here on earth infatuation focuses on external looks but love focuses on internal internal character you know it's it's important what we look like you know um, because it's it's an expression of an internal reality but it's more important who you look like and that talks about how you do, how you are, your character, the way you treat people, the way you treat people of, um, uh, you know, that, that most people disrespect. Uh, that, that tells me more about who you are than, you know, than how and what you look like. And uh, sometimes people, you know, focus so much on a person's external experience, ex- external experience, appearance or external appearance, sorry, um, that they, uh, they want to make decisions based off of that for the, you know, spending their whole lives with that person. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> are you crazy? That just doesn't compute because you're going to wake up next to that person every morning and then you're going to have to ask yourself this, is this worth it? <laughs> is this worth it? I've never had, like when, when, when wives reach out to me and, and, and many have, to, to ask, what do I do about my husband? I've never a- had them complain to me what their husband's physical appearance looks like. You can have a beer boop. We call it this a boop. You, know? you can have a big old beer boop. You can, you can, you can, you can, you can you know, be fluffy and unkept 
and you know, uh, if you're married with somebody, you know, and there's trouble, they're not going to come worry about that. Trust me. They're going to come and say, man, you don't treat them right. That's what it is about. It's about the internal character. And most, most, most women look past external things. Men, we think that's, that's all it's about. You know, I just need to be hot and buffy. Bruh, you're missing the point here. Women don't think like that. For them, it's about what's happening in your heart. And are you willing to love me? Are you willing to help me? Are you willing to be my partner? Help me with my life? And, 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 you know, and obviously women, it needs to be more than that for you. You, know? you have to take care of yourself. Because what your external appearance looks like is a, is a reflection of your internal reality. But you don't have to buy into this, you know, this slant, this completely um, you know, off-center off idea you know, that is put out by the media of what, uh, what a woman needs to look like. But you know what we do see? We see a woman that is expressing ex- in externally who God has made her on the inside to be. That is more attractive to godly men than, um, than physical appearance. And so be, be sure to develop who you are in Jesus. And be sure to, to shine that out into your external existence. But if we will focus on that, both men and women, on the inside of a person and how they're portraying what is inside Jesus, inside externally, we will be able to actually love a person for who they are, not what they look like. So we all have these myths that we have maybe fallen you know, victim to, that we need to fix in our hearts and minds. And so this morning, like I said, <laughs> this isn't going to hold back any punches. This is going to put it out straight as it, as it is there. But, but what, what matters most actually is our response to it. And here's what I want to encourage you with in Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30. It says this, Take my yoke upon you. And when he says yoke, just replace that word yoke there for a second with the word teaching. Jesus is saying, take my teaching on you. Back in the day when, um, you know, people who were looking for mentors, uh, I wanted to be an apprentice to somebody or a disciple of somebody, what they would say, what they would say is, uh, uh, you know, I am under the yoke of this and this mentor. Meaning that I have committed myself to learning his teachings, learning his writings, and being an advocate thereof, and building my lifestyle according to the philosophic you know, input that I get from this person. That's what it meant in this context, in this time. So when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you he didn't just talk about he didn't talk about farming he actually spoke about if you want to be my disciple you have to accept my teachings so it is take my teachings upon you and learn from me see that's the actual crux that's what he means learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls Let's just be honest. Relationships can be contentious. There can be a lot of unwellness, a lot of stress, and a lot of hurt in relationships. God wants you to have rest for your souls. All right, so just ignore that for a little bit. Don't worry about Kathleen. 
She's good. He wants you to take his teachings upon your shoulders, learn from him, because that's what leads to rest. That's what leads to health. That's what leads to the recovery in your relationship. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Replace the word burden there for a second with the word commands. My yoke is easy and my burdens are light. See, the burden is what he gives you to do. It's what he tells you how to do it. It's light. Doing relationships God's way is actually easy. And it creates the kind of environment wherein everybody thrives, where peace thrives, where, where love thrives, where joy thrives. The kingdom of God can come in. Because the Bible says the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's not in the physical things. It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, as you pursue the kingdom of God, what's the kingdom of God? It's His teachings and His commands, like it says here. The reality of the kingdom becomes your reality. That's how you find rest for your soul. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit becomes a part of your relationship. That's what God wants for you. But it requires of you to take his yoke upon you and, 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 and allow him to put his burden on you. And it's not, it's not difficult. It's light. Because it will bring rest for your soul. Let's stand together. You know, Jesus was our ultimate example of love, right? And so Jesus did what he's asking of us to do. He submitted himself under God's teachings. The Bible says that Jesus learned to obey God throughout his whole life, through what he had to go through. Not just the cross, the whole life. Jesus had a lot of times where he could decide to not uh, obey God's teachings, but he, he learned from God and he chose to obey God. And then he submitted himself even to the point of dying on the cross. Why? Because that was the burden that God put on him. That was the command that God gave him. I want you to go and pay the price for these people on my behalf. Christ did that. And now he has, that love act brought us into relationship with him. And that's all that he's asking us to do. He's asking us to accept his teachings, to accept his principles for relationship. And as we do that, and it might feel like I'm dying, but like Christ produced life for each and every one of us, us doing that, you doing that for your spouse will produce life. It will produce life. And by life, I mean healing, joy, peace, excitement, romance. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now for every individual who's heard these words that they might make a decision today to accept your commands lord your teachings and to let that replace the ideas that are in their minds about relationships i pray lord as they do that that they will see the life that you intended for us to have in relationships as they decide to do that that you see their how they see how you preserve them from making mistakes from getting hurt because they're not following your advice father thank you that that also gives us the necessary faith we need to endure and to grow closer to each other again and to find a way to make this the best relationship even though currently we're going through strife. So what is it that God's wanting you to change? What does He want you to do? The Holy Spirit is about to speak to you. And if He gives you an idea right now, don't reject it. Just ask Him. 
Is this what you want me to do, Lord? Is this something that you want me to change? What ideas have you been having that God wants to replace? Right there as you stand, He's with you, standing right by you. And He's whispering into your ear, Please do this. Please take these steps. Please stop believing that about yourself. I have made you who you are. Let me define you. Stop saying things about you that are not true about you. Because you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'll tell you what's true about you. I know you better than you could ever know yourself. Give up those ideas that you have about you. And let me replace it with truth. So that you can become more like me. And your actions can reflect me better. So that your relationship will reflect me better. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for giving us the faith, the grace to know that we can do this in you. We honor you. And Lord, we worship you today. In your name, amen. Amen.